the last Sunday after Epiphany, right before we begin Lent, the gospel lesson is always the same story. Um, and this year it is found in, in Matthew's gospel in the 17th chapter. If you're able to stand to receive the gospel today, would you do so now? Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to him, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about this vision until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was a young teenager, I was learning to play the piano. And I took it seriously and worked hard at it. And I heard one day... I don't know whether I heard it on the TV or the radio or maybe glanced at it in the paper. I don't remember how I heard. But I heard that one of the world's great pianists was coming to Hershey where I lived. And I wanted to go hear him. And so one day while I was in school, my mother went to the arena box office and she bought me a ticket. Just one. Just for me. And on the night of the concert, she dropped me off there, and I heard the concert. Any guesses who it was? Who? Van Cliburn, that's a good guess. (laughs) No. Who? Liberace, that's right. It was Liberace. Can you believe it? Realize, please, this was in the days before I knew Bill Ingram, Tom Mulliken, and Nick Warner. So... I thought Liberace was good. His clothes were outlandish. The diamonds on his fingers would... (laughs) Well, you remember him. He was a character. But when, when he put his hands to the keyboard, it was a glimpse of God. Honest it was. I'd never heard or seen anything like it. And it was inspired. If he'd have limited it to that, that would have been even better. It was, for me, it was a glimpse of God. And then some years later, um, I had moved on from piano to organ, Nick. And uh, um, 
I heard, you know, uh, E-Power Biggs was coming to Harrisburg to the forum. Now, E-Power Biggs is a name you may never have heard if you're not an organist, but, but, but he was indeed probably the world's preeminent organist of the time. And uh, I was driving by then, so I drove myself to the concert, and I heard him play at the forum. And, and I knew the story about E. Power Biggs, that, that a few years before, he was preparing for a concert, and on the morning of the concert, he fell and broke his arm. But he went to the concert hall, and he gave the concert anyway. Despite the immense pain, he had, he had such esteem and affection for his fellow musicians that he played his concert with a broken arm and only later went to the hospital and had it set and casted. Such esteem he had for his fellow musicians. And to hear Biggs at the console, it was, it was a glimpse of God, honest it was. It was phenomenal to hear that music from one so skilled and accomplished it was a glimpse of God. When I was a student, um, I, I worked as a chaplain at the medical center at Duke University. And uh, one day I had opportunity to go into the OR and to witness open heart surgery. Some of you have heard me talk about this. I talk about it a good bit because it was one of the most phenomenal experiences I've ever had. Never seen anything like it before or since. The surgery was incredible. But there was something that impressed me even more than the life-saving surgery performed on that woman that morning. And it it was the doctors and nurses in the OR you couldn't have fit another, another sheet of paper in that room. The, the, the people were everywhere and they were moving around each other, bumping into each other as they moved and sliding past each other. So many physicians and nurses in that operating room. There were two teams of surgeons. And, and they moved around each other and they worked like nothing I'd ever seen before. I saw teamwork and and you know how you see you, you know how you see uh, operations on uh, on television and how the surgeon holds out his hand scalpel knife whatever clamp scissors that's not the way it is it's not the way it is at all the surgeon doesn't have to say anything all he does is hold out his hand and the nurse knows what he needs she just knows and puts it in his hand and it's right there that's that's how that's how much of a team they are that's, that's how closely they work together. And I saw that, and, and it, it was a glimpse of God. Honest it was. I, I wanted to be a part of a team like that. And wherever I went and wherever I worked, I wanted to create a team that worked just like that. Just like clockwork. So that they didn't need to look at each other. They didn't need to talk. They just knew what they needed to do and needed to be and where they needed to go. And they worked so closely and incredibly together. And whether you know it or not, I've created a team just like that at First Church here with the staff here. If you don't know that, you need to know it. That's what we've got going here right now. And it's only going to get better. But it was a glimpse of God to see that kind of teamwork. Not only the life-saving surgery, the incredible, wondrous uh, intervention in, in, a, in a person's body that went on that day, but the teamwork of all who worked together was a glimpse of God. Honest it was. I visited a lady in the hospital one day. It was many years ago up at Holy Spirit Hospital. Her name was Margaret Firestone. 
She was not a member of this church, but of a church I served previously. And Margaret was in the last few days of her life. And as I sat in the room and talked with Margaret, this young orderly walked in pushing a wheelchair. And he was very cheery that morning. Well, Mrs. Firestone, he said, it's time for your x-ray. And Margaret sat in the bed. She was sitting on the side of the bed. She sat there. She said, what x-ray? Well, your doctor has ordered an x-ray for you this morning. And he smiled. And she said, well, my doctor didn't tell me anything about an x-ray. And until he discusses it with me, there's not going to be one. Very wise and discerning orderly because he very carefully backed out of that room with his wheelchair as he said, yes, ma'am, and turned and went down the hall. And when he did, I looked at her and I said, good for you, Margaret. Good for you. She never let go of anything. She maintained her own life and and her control of herself and her life all the way to the end. Good for you, Margaret. It was a glimpse of God for me to see that. Someone so determined, someone so alive that they weren't going to let go of it. Not to any disease, not to any doctor, not even to death until it was taken away from her. And so she did. You remember... You remember Marjorie Straw's ball? She used to sit back there in the back. There's a couple old birds still sitting back there that she used to sit with. (laughs) And I have to tell you what I did one day. I'm only teasing. But one one week, Marjorie went to the hospital. And and, uh, she always came to my Wednesday night Bible study. And so when we got to Bible study and time for prayer... I prayed for Marjorie because she was in the hospital. And I prayed for old Marjorie. And when the prayer was over, the people sitting around the table said, Oh, we're going to tell on you. You called her old and she's not going to like that. We're going to tell on you. So I thought, I thought it would probably be a good idea if, if, uh, if I went to the hospital and confessed before anybody beat me to it and told her what I had said. Well, it was Saturday night till I was able to get there, and I walked in the room, and there was Marjorie sitting on a chair in the middle of the room. Her family gathered all around her. She was holding court, and they were talking and laughing and having the time of their lives. And at one point while I was there, I sat down on the bed, and I said, Marjorie, I have to tell you what I did. She said, what did you do? I said, I prayed for you the other night, and I prayed for old Marjorie, and I wanted you to know that before somebody else told you. And you got mad at me. And she looked at me and she smiled and she said, well, you know, praying for old Marjorie is a whole lot better than praying for dead Marjorie. (laughs) And you know, you know, the next morning at six o'clock, my phone rang. And I went back to that room at Holy Spirit Hospital and I stood there with her family. And I prayed for dead Marjorie. Because she died early that morning. And it was a glimpse of God. Honest it was. A glimpse of God to see, to see one who had lived life so thoroughly and so well. And had yielded herself so easily to God's call. It was a glimpse of God. I've been in the delivery room a couple of times when my children were born. You've been there too, I hope. 
If not for children, maybe for grandchildren. And it's a glimpse of God every time you do it. A glimpse of God in, in its, its most powerful form. One year when I was a young pastor, we, uh, I had a group of about 40 youth and we were going on retreat. We were going up to Wesley Forest and the theme of the retreat was death and dying. Kind of a heavy theme for a retreat, but we had a good time at it. The night we got there, Friday night, I told the kids to all come down to the lodge and bring their pillows. And so they did. And I had them lay down on the floor of the lodge on their backs with their heads all toward the middle and put their heads on their pillows. And when I got them all situated there, we turned out the lights. It was completely dark. Way off in the woods, it was really dark. And I told the kids I was going to lead them through. We were going to walk through the experience that people had reported when they they talked about a near-death experience. You know, the tunnel and the light and all that. And so I did that step by step by step. Walked them through what people had reported the experience of dying was like. And in the middle of that exercise, one of those kids lying on their back on their pillow on a Friday night in the woods... One of the kids started to snore. And I mean snore like I've rarely heard snoring. This was, this kid was up against the best. I mean rattled the rafters snoring. And somehow we made it through the rest of the exercise and it was time to turn the lights on. And as the lights came on, everybody wanted to know who was snoring and I expected it was going to be Tom or Ed, or one of those big guys, but it was Brenda. It was, it was little cute blonde-headed Brenda who was snoring like that. And of course, all the rest of the kids, especially the guys, were teasing the life out of her, and she threw it right back at them. You're just jealous that you can't do what I do. And what do you do, Brenda? I snore like a man. You're just jealous. And it was a glimpse of God to see, to see that kind of confidence and that kind of never let go and never let anybody get ahead of me. And you know, I ran into Brenda's mom just a couple of weeks ago and her birthday was this month. My gosh, she turned 50. Little Brenda snoring at youth retreat is 50. And it was a glimpse of God to see that kind of, that, that kind of passion. And I get a glimpse of God every time. Well, we didn't have any, we didn't have a single child here this morning, but we will at the later service. We'll fill the steps. And, uh, every time I look into their faces, it's a glimpse of God. Honest it is. Whether I see them smiling or just trying to control themselves, Kevin, because they have something to say, they just can hardly resist saying. I see a glimpse, and every time I have a chance to sit with Phyllis Mengel, it's a glimpse of God. It's one of those treasured glimpses of God. And I go into the Sunday school classes and the study groups in this church, and I hear people telling their stories and receiving the support and the care and the love of others around the table, and it's a glimpse of God. You know, every one of you could do what I've just done. And tell those stories and those experiences, those glimpses of God, those glimpses of heaven that you've had. 
those experiences that you've had that, that, that give you some insight into how God is present and, and how God is moving um, among us, whether it's in the faces of our own children at home or in the selfless, loving acts that you see on the streets or at work or in hospitals or nursing homes or here at church. What makes those kinds of experiences unique? What makes those glimpses of God unique and different from other everyday experiences that we have is this. Those moments, those kinds of experiences give us the encouragement that we need to go on. They give us the courage that we need to face difficult circumstances or unwelcome news. They give us the determination that we need to to do difficult things. They give the stamina that we need to persevere over time. They They give us the inspiration that we need to keep doing and to try new things and different things and to learn what we need to learn. Those glimpses of God provide us with the hope that we need when things seem hopeless and the strength that we need when we think we just can't do it anymore. That's what those moments, those experiences that are glimpses of God do for us. And somehow, somehow in God's mysterious economy, those glimpses of God seem to come at just the right time. Just when we need them, even sometimes before we need them, before we're aware of what's ahead. It happened for Jesus' disciples on Mount Hermon one day. Or so we presume from the story that it's Mount Hermon, a mountain that so dominates the landscape of Palestine that it's visible from a hundred miles away. That was the great mountain in that part of the world. Somewhere on that mountain, Jesus' appearance changed. And he became a blinding, shining light. And Moses and Elijah joined him and they spoke with him. And then a bright cloud and a booming voice so unnerved Peter, James, and John that they fell on their faces in, in fear. This was their glimpse of God moment, which inspired them and encouraged them and sustained them and energized them for what lay ahead. When Matthew begins to tell this story, he says, six days later, and then he tells the story about the mountain. Well, six days later than what? They had been at Caesarea Philippi, and you remember what happened there. Peter had made his marvelous confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, he told Jesus. And Jesus had begun Jesus had begun by asking them, who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, they told him. Some say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus, pleased with that answer, rewards Peter and promises him the, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. But then, then after that wondrous confession, after that incredible insight, then the conversation takes a rather drastic turn. From that time on, Matthew tells us, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and must undergo great suffering and be killed. Matthew says, from that time on, Jesus began to show them. Up until that time, it had been pretty much a joy ride. The disciples had walked with Jesus. They had received his teaching. They had enjoyed his miracles. They had basked in the glory of all that Jesus had to tell them and show them. But now the going's going to get rougher. And they had no idea. They had no preparation. They had no clue as to what lay ahead for them. They were expecting 
a glorious journey, but instead it was going to be the way of the cross, the way of suffering and fear and anger and hostility. And this glimpse of God on the mountain, this this transfiguration of Jesus was what inspired them and sustained them through the coming difficulty and challenges. That's what glimpses of God are. They are moments that come to us, moments we experience that inspire us, that encourage us, that comfort us, that give us the strength to go on. Laurel Dykstra was uh, um, writing an article for Sojourner's Magazine, and she told of an experience she had. She said, I went to Guadalupe House. It was a house where as a transition house where men coming out of prison would go and spend for a time as they as they got themselves reestablished in life. They got themselves a place to live. They found themselves a job. Um, uh, they made some connections with others for support and care. The Guadalupe house was the was the halfway house where they went. And I went there to to lead the effort and to do the work in this transition house. I spent nearly 10 years there. But even after 10 years, I remembered the first night, the night that I got there. She said, I sat at the wobbly-legged table amid a circle of men's faces, black, brown, and white. And I looked around me at the peeling linoleum, at the tattered yellow curtains, the broken couches, the roach-filled corners. I had never seen a place so neglected and so ugly. But after a week of meeting those fellas there and talking with them and learning about their families and their stories and helping them to re-enter the community and find places to work and find places to live. I sat in the same seat a week later and I caught myself thinking, what a kind and homey room this is. Transfigured, transformed. But it wasn't, it wasn't the room that had changed. It was still the same broken couches and ugly curtains and peeling linoleums and even the same roaches in the corners. But it was I. It was I who had been changed. I was transformed. I was made new. So, so I wonder, in, in Matthew's story of the mountain, was it Jesus who was changed? Or was it John and James and Peter? who could now see the face of God shining in the man that they knew. Remember the last thing they saw before they descended the mountain? And when they looked up, Matthew tells us, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. But it was they. It was Peter, James, and John who had been truly transformed. It was they who had been changed. They were the ones who were different when they came down the mountain. Jesus was the same as he had been. And they took their new capacity to see and their new ability to understand and their new inspiration to go on. They took all of that with them off that mountain into the low places they would visit and into the crowded streets and into the challenging circumstances they would face. I walked out of that arena that night and out of that concert hall after hearing world-class musicians. And those fellas weren't a bit different than they had ever been. But I was changed. I was encouraged and I was inspired to work at the music even harder than I had before. 
And after standing in that operating room, those doctors and nurses did the same thing in the afternoon. I saw them do in the morning and the next day and the next and the next. It wasn't any different from them. They hadn't changed at all. But I had been transformed. I saw what they did and I wanted to know how to do that myself. They hadn't changed, but I had. Old Marjorie, old Marjorie (laughs) and Margaret are long gone from this world. But the experience of having known them still inspires and encourages and changes me these many years later. We expect that when we raise children, we will apply our parenthood and our experienced grandparenting skills to raising those children and effecting changes in those kids which will serve them throughout their lives. And, and that's true. But those children... Because they are glimpses of God, those children also change us when we're their parents and their grandparents and their pastors and their friends. They change us and they make us more loving and more understanding and more compassionate and more patient as we live and work with them. That's what happens when we experience a glimpse of God. It doesn't change God, but it transforms us to be more energetic and more committed It inspires us and makes us stronger, determined to persevere in the ways that God places before us and that Jesus calls us to travel. Take some time today to think about some of those experiences that you've had, some of those glimpses of God that have been yours and and how you have been encouraged and equipped to face the things that you've needed to face. And then more importantly, be careful to be attentive be attentive to those glimpses of God that God that God just might grant you today or tomorrow or later in the week. And let those glimpses of God strengthen you and encourage you and inspire you and guide you as you move through the life to which God calls you and engage in the ministries and the work which God needs you to be about for the sake of Christ and for the kingdom that he's bringing among us. Amen.